0: It's called the Radiopotami app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: You know, it was a big deal, Biden coming to the border. Well, he's yeah that's actually a really really that's a strange statement actually believe it or not the way it all turned out and the governor you would think would be somewhat happy to see the president but i'm in his camp when he's like hey you know it's two years and 20 billion dollars too little too late uh when this here's what he had to say he should have been
2: down here from day one to fix the problem that he created
1: he should have been down here in case you couldn't hear from day one to fix the problem that he created. So Biden goes to El Paso after everybody was saying, Hey, you should you should check out the border, check out the border. He says, Okay, fine, I'll go to I'll go to El Paso. I'll I'll check things out. And then sure enough, El Paso spent the week prior cleaning up El Paso for the president's visit. And for more details on this as to how it all went down, uh, joining us on seven ten K U R V is Bob Price from Breitbart, Texas joining us right now so the story in el paso uh let's let's uh set the scene what was what was going on and when when did it happen when did they start uh tearing everything down well about about a week ago uh
3: we we noticed a of course this is right after governor abbott deployed the texas national guard down there and stopped the inward flow you know a good percentage of the inward flow of migrants coming across the border but we noticed that the Border Patrol and the El Paso Police Department were driving around the city and rounding up migrants who had crossed the border illegally of course you know they all crossed the border illegally but crossed the border illegally without being processed by Border Patrol agents and were camping out on the streets because they couldn't get into the federally funded shelters the president Biden left them sleeping on the streets in 20 degree weather but um they rounded up all those people up and they Title 42 to a bunch of them right back to, to Mexico. And so they cleaned them out. And they, let me show you this as an extreme. Two weeks ago, the Central Processing Center in El Paso that's designed to hold about 3,500 migrants had 5,600 people in there that they were holding while they were processing them. Um, yesterday, when the president went to visit, there were no... Zero, none, migrants present in that processing center. The president didn't see a single person in there when he was visiting with the Border Patrol agents that run that facility.
1: That is incredible. I cannot believe that happened. Out of everything that I expected to happen from Biden coming down, I thought Biden was just going to, okay, hey, well he, he mm-hmm. wasn't going to have his mind changed even if there was a ton of people i didn't expect el paso was just going to come and just kind of you know sweep everybody under the rug hey the 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 boss is showing up look busy hey we got a handle on this problem but i i don't know was there is there any determinable reason as to why they started cleaning everything up as to you know cover up any incompetence issues from the city maybe like hey we got a handle on this don't you worry we're we're on it
3: Well, we we, this Potemkin village kind of thing, anytime dignitaries uh, make a pre-announced trip to an area, you know, when I was in the Air Force, we used to see, we'd hear that the general was coming, everybody would get out there and they'd sweep stuff that hadn't been swept in months and clean everything up because they want to make a good impression and blah, 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 blah. Well, if you really want to see what's going on, don't tell them you're coming. Show up (laughs) when it's busy find out what's going on, take a look at it. And we've done that with several members of Congress. We take them down there to the border, and we give them the, the Breitbart tour of the border, and they, they see what's really going on. They don't get this Potemkin village set up kind of thing. You know, Okay, the president went there. He talked with a few Border Patrol agents. He talked with some NGOs. Um, he, he came away and said, you know, they, they, he said, they asked him, what would you learn? And he said, well, they need some equipment and resources and we're going to make sure they had them. Well, they needed those equipment and resources and border walls and all these other things two years ago. When And more importantly, we needed the policies that would prevent people from coming that he wiped out on day one. You ask why, you know, Governor Abbott asked why he didn't come to the border on day one because he was busy undoing all of the successful programs of the Trump administration on day one. And that's what led to this problem. That's what created... More than five, uh, the, the situation where more than five million people have crossed the border and millions have been released into the United States, many without even a court notice, a date to appear in court. They're just, you know, imagine you get stopped by a DPS trooper and he says, You were speeding. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm out of tickets today. So if you don't mind when you get to town, would you stop at the JP's office and tell him you were speeding? That's, that's what the Biden administration has been doing with millions of migrants and just releasing them into the country
1: we're talking with bob price from breitbart texas our guest on your 956 drive home we're talking about biden's visit to el paso and if i if i'm el paso and david i'll get to your question in a second uh if i'm el, if i'm el paso and i'm having a problem with illegal immigrants coming in i want biden to see the whole problem as as bad as it is in fact i'm i'm, I'm making i'm letting more of them in on purpose i'm making the problem look worse than it actually is because i want that funding now, I'm also right. frustrated for the governor, where the governor's like, hey, it's too little, too late. Why are you barely showing up now? Why? Because Eric Adams in in New York City was saying that there's a problem, and now you're curious about it, or what? Like, hey, what gives? I totally get that. but uh, I well, You know, I'm it's done. funny talking
3: about Eric Adams and all the complaining that he did about the migrants that uh, Governor Abbott bust up there. He didn't say a word about the 13,000 migrants that Mayor Leiser, um shipped up there. You know, because he's a Democrat, so it's okay if he ships thirteen thousand migrants up there, but if Greg Abbott, a Republican, does that, then we're gonna we're gonna wail and cry and, and scream bloody murder.
1: I'm Zan Cantu, joined by Davis Rankin on your nine five six drive home. Your question, Davy, for Bob Price from Breitbart. Yeah, um I
2: think this is obvious, but I like to hear it I like to hear it with my own ears. Uh did did anyone do you ask, and I don't know who you would ask. Hey, last week you had X. This time, what happened? Where are they? T- to find out, did the mayor wake up one day and there'd been he'd had an epiphany? It's time to clean up because the president's coming, or did somebody contact him and say you got to got to take one for the team?
3: Well, what we know, you know, first off, the ma- mainstream media did not ask that question to the president or to the mayor of El Paso or to anybody else that I'm aware of. Um, but there is a marked difference, not just in El Paso, but even in the Del Rio sector. I guess maybe they were afraid that, it, you know, the president mm-hmm. might take a detour and come down there, too. Um, but border crossings in both the Del Rio sector and the El Paso sector dropped precipitously just in the last week, just in advance of the president's visit to the Texas border. You know, well, how that, that, that raises some serious questions as to... You know, what's going on with the other side of the border You're working with somebody to try to make Biden, you know, Biden comes down there and he goes, No, oh, I don't see any problem down here. You know, there's no people crossing the ODC. What are you talking is, about? And so it, the um, yeah. the the mayor there in El Paso, you know, they've been asking for millions and millions of dollars in reimbursement on money that they've spent housing, transporting, and and caring for for these people dumped on the streets. Two two weeks ago excuse me, three weeks ago, the Biden administration through the border patrol dumped 10,000 people into the city of El Paso in one week. That number fell last week to about three to 600, somewhere around in there. Um, You know, why Um, the big difference? And that's that's a question that deserves to be asked. And I would love to uh, stand there in front of Secretary Mayorkas or or President Biden and, and ask just that.
2: Don't you think that's the chain of command, or the um, political appointees, or the people who are not, but they're up at the top of the food chain? They know what they need to do, and um, maybe there wasn't a directive. They just knew they had to clean things up.
1: Or uh, maybe I, and this is me, like really trying that, uh, really trying to stand up for them, I guess. I don't know if there was a safety concern, having that many people close to the president. Like maybe you couldn't have oh, him in proximity to close. a mass of people that, that large, you know what I mean? Maybe that's why they didn't take him to the border and they captured El Chapo's kid before Biden showed up, you know?
3: Well, you know, that there is some safety concerns and you never know what could happen from the other side of the river um, w- with the cartels and, and what they're capable of doing. But, but that said, the, you know, the fact that Governor Abbott deployed the National Guard, they put up two miles of, of uh, shipping containers and concertino wire, triple, lever, triple layer concertino wire, just the mere presence of armed soldiers along the border um, stopped a lot of those people from, from trying to cross. And, and the fact that Title 42 stayed in place, and so there's some confusion now of do I cross illegally? and get sent back and have to start all over again, pay the cartels all over again, all of this kind of stuff, kind of put a stop and wait on, on a lot of this stuff. You know, the new program that that President Biden announced this week, where they're going to allow 360,000 new um, legal asylees to come into the United States per year using this uh, parole program, that's a, a completely illegal program. The, the parole program is designed for me to look at your case, Zach, let me let me look at the facts yeah. of your case and decide if you deserve to be released on this parole program into the United States on an individual basis. This blanket amnesty of people saying that, okay, we're going to let 30,000 people from these three countries come into the United States on, under this uh, parole program it is completely illegal. Congress didn't authorize
1: that. Nobody authorized that. Joe Biden just made it up. You know, Bob, this is the whole thing that bugs me about it. I mean, because you could argue this immigration thing from both sides and say that Biden is still inept at this whole thing. Uh, we're joined by Bob Price from Breitbart, Texas, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. Hold, hold on, David. I'll get to you in a second. You could say if you're on if you're on like the Democrat side, if you're on the left side, talking about illegal immigration, oh, you should just let them in, and you know they're just trying to find a new home for themselves. Well, the Biden administration isn't putting anybody down to help process these people and bring them across in a safe way. They're still t- they're still turning a blind eye to it. And if obviously if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative on the on the right, and, and you're seeing this, why are they even coming across in the first place? Because it is such a dangerous trek, and because of the. the the cartels and everything that's involved in coming across. And and in some people's opinion, a lot of them shouldn't be coming across in the first place. So why is the Biden administration just turning a blind eye to it in general? Well, first off, they, they, um, on day
3: one, they were advised by the outgoing people in CBP and DHS as to what would happen if they canceled it. So to say that this is ineptness is is giving them way too much credit. This is a deliberate (laughs) action by the Biden administration to destroy anything that said Donald Trump on it. And and that's what they, they set out to do. And they were warned what the consequence of this would be. And it's been exactly, actually, it's been beyond imagination what it could do when you look at more people cross the border in the last three months, the first three months of this, this quarter, more people illegally cross the border than in the entire fiscal year 2020 Donald Trump's last full year in office. That's the dramatic impact of this intentional action that opened up the green light and just let these people in. And when you look at this new program, it says, okay, we're going to let 360,000 people, 30,000 a month, come into the the United States under this amnesty, uh, excuse me, parole program. Well, the rest of them, there's still no deterrent for and no consequence for illegally crossing the border. So the rest of them are still going to come anyway and probably more because they're going to hope they qualify for, for some other amnesty program because they've seen time and time again, if you break the laws of the United States and enter the country illegally, you will get rewarded for that. And the only thing that will stop it, the Biden administration hasn't done anything to stop it. All of the money they've spent, every action they've taken has been to... More efficiently and more quickly process people and release them back into the United States. That's been the only thing that they've done. They haven't done a single policy, not a single thing, to stop people and apply consequence to people that illegally enter the United States.
1: Wow, that was very well put, Bob. Hey, thanks for you know stopping by and and giving us the story on that. You can find. Uh, Bob Price and his article, The Potemkin Village. Officials clear homeless migrants from El Paso streets ahead of Biden's visit at Breitbart.com. It's under the Border tab. Go ahead and check that out. That's Bob Price from Breitbart joining us on News Talk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Zach Cantu, along with the living legend Davis Rankin, and with all these weather changes, and I know some people are hoping that Their inflamed sinuses or any any sniffles that they may have are not the Rona, but we do have to say that cases are up. And joining us on seven hundred and ten KURV is the Hidalgo County Health Authority, Doctor Ivan Melendez, to give us a bird's eye view of what's going on, not just with COVID but with the triple demic. Is there a is there a good news bad news to all this right now?
4: Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on and. The happiest of holiday seasons, our favorite time of year. There's always a good and a bad. There's always a way of reframing. But the reality of it is is that we're seeing record year for some of these viruses that usually will peak in February or later on. uh, And we're seeing them now. You know, people talk about that triple-demic, right? Everyone knows about influenza, RSV, and coronavirus, but we're also seeing cases increase in peri-influenza, and metanumovirus, the rhinovirus, so it's not only those three, although those are the most infamous ones, there's a whole cadre of additional viruses that take advantage of the winter months. You all remember that 2020 and 2021, that Christmas time after Thanksgiving, after, um, after uh, Christmas, our numbers is significantly increased, and this year is no exception. The good news is that even though the numbers are increasing, and this is a record year for some of the other viruses, um, It's less, much less than the previous years. So there's
1: always a silver lining around the cloud. Okay, that's, yeah, that's a pretty good silver lining, I would say. Uh, How are we doing at the hospitals right now with with the triple-demic?
4: I tell you, man, I'm I'm here currently at McAllen Medical Center, but I've been... Uh, to Mission and uh, Rio Grande Regional and DHR this morning. Uh, and it's the same story. Uh, their pediatric units are extremely busy busy with rhinovirus. Uh, and about half of those people, or three quarters of those people, that are hospitalized uh, pediatric kids are uh, respiratory etiologies. So definitely the respiratory illnesses are making the vast majority of the kids that are in the hospital. As far as... Um, Uh, RSV and uh, uh, influenza, we know that in some parts of the country, remaining high have peaked. I believe that we've seen the same thing. I believe that RSV and um, influenza are higher. It's a higher plateau, but I think we're peaking still very high. For example, we have anywhere between 18 to 25 people in the hospital that are related to uh, influenza. And then we have um, in coronavirus uh, around uh, 40, 40 to 50. And let's remember that just 10 days ago, we only had around 20 COVID people in the hospital and now we've doubled that. So there's definitely, definitely an increase uh, in uh, all these and including uh, the coronavirus. And you you may ask yourself why, I think everybody pretty well knows why. We have a debt immunity uh, because we've been so protected using masks We had record low numbers in 20 and 21 because people were using masks for the other viral illnesses. And not only do we have our herd death, sometimes people forget most of us have gotten coronavirus and that affects your immune system. We don't know for how long. So Mm -hmm. I am sure that one of the sequelas of having COVID is making our immune system a little bit weaker and top it off with uh, the lack of that immunity death. It's been quite the the, uh, perfect storm to have these numbers going up.
1: Our guest is Dr. Ivan Melendez, the Hidalgo County Health Authority on uh, 710 KURV. And uh, before we pass you off to David, you know what, David, go ahead and, and ask your question. I'll, I'll wait.
2: Uh, Rio Grande City or Stark County has a, still has a hospital, does it not, number one. And number two, do you know if uh, they're having the same experience we are? And what about Corpus Christi area, if you know?
4: Oh, without a doubt, Corpus Christi is seeing incredibly large numbers. Uh, the Star County is a very small hospital, yeah. uh, very few beds, and uh, I can't address their pediatric population in RSV, and they are transferring the majority of the sick people to the McAllen area, but okay. uh, I cannot see why Star County would be any different uh, than the yeah. rest of the state. So, mm-hmm. Corpus Christi be busy. Star County, I'm speculating, only speculating, and, of course, we're, we're pretty busy, too.
2: What about across the river in Reynosa, Matamoros, I don't know where the hospitals are. Do you Do you have any information at all?
4: We do discuss. We have what's called the uh, Binational uh, uh, Association yeah. where we compare numbers and treatments and track, actually, people with tuberculosis and those diseases, people going back and forth. And yes, they're having extremely high numbers, too. I don't have those numbers at hand, but they're witnessing the exact same thing we are. The the difference is that the testing capacity and the hospitalization capacity is much less. But let's look at Monterrey. Monterrey, a major metroplex, two and a half hours away, they have Mm -hmm. mass mandates. The reason they have mandates is because their numbers of corona were increasing 6% a day. And Good so, Lord. if you look at LA, if you look at Monterrey, right down the road, they're having incredibly large numbers, and in part because of you know the new variants and people are talking out uh, the XXH and the B1 and B2, and so yes, uh, numbers across uh, the the uh, river are also uh, are also impressive. Six percent a day—that that's, thats correct. That's, that's, just, that's, that's is, what Boston
1: that is We need to do something, and that's why we yeah. did it. Huh. That sounds that sounds pretty heavy. Uh, Dr. Ivan Melendez is the Hidalgo County Health Authority. Our guest in your nine five six drive home. Uh, one of the write ups says that a majority of those contracting COVID right now are nineteen years old and under, which kind of begs the question: Was there a concert or something that everybody showed up to <laughs> that, that that this happened <laughs> that you didn't go to? We know that, uh, listen to this,
4: these numbers will scare you. We know that uh, about 15% of people in that age group, 15% to less are are vaccinated. And let's also remember that this is going to be kind of depressing, that uh, only 35% of people that are 65 or older, only 35% have received uh, boosters. So we know that vaccinations uh, compliance is extremely low and uh, we understand why people are tired of it. People don't believe in it. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, well, I got, I got, you know, I got it three times and I got the boosters and I still got sick. There's a lot of hesitancy. On the good news is that RSV, we believe there'll be probably two, maybe even three vaccines available next year, uh, at least that's what the pipelines are saying. So. Right now, we have COVID, and we have flu, and soon we'll have RSV vaccines. And let's be honest. I mean, if there's a disease that you cannot cure, if you're kind of hoping that your immune system, that you don't have a hidden cancer you didn't know, that you haven't been on steroids, that your diabetes is well controlled, that you're not twenty percent overweight, so you're just you're just throwing the dice. And and why why do that when the vaccines are readily available? And still free, although that's about to change next month. People will, st- uh, are, will still be getting charged for COVID vaccines now.
1: Oh, yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, we're going to have to start paying for those, or the insurance is going to have to start paying for them, which means our insurance is going to have to pay. Uh, but uh, as far as treatments go, I know there was a, a new, there was a new strain floating around that does not respond, at least that's what I read, to the monoclonal antibodies. What, what treatments do we have available that are effective for basically anything that's floating around out there?
4: Yes, that's an excellent question. What is the name of the game in football, Score touchdown, in baseball score runs, in viral diseases? The name of the game is antibodies. How much does a host, does a patient, how much antibodies do they have in order to protect themselves from any disease whatsoever? So when the offending organism changes, those antibodies are not as effective as they originally were. So if you have a particular fishing lure or a fishing hook for bass, it may not work so well for trout or snapper, but it still works. You can still get that to bite. So vaccines are still effective, but the more that the enemy mutates, the less specific those antibodies are. So monoclonal antibodies it, it really, quite frankly, are, are not as anywhere near as effective as they have been in the past. Interestingly, now we have medications called, uh, that uh, like EverShield that you can actually give the person a preformed antibody. So if you do not respond like eight to 10% of the population, they will never respond in making antibodies to any vaccine and they don't know who they are. Those folks, you give them preformed antibodies that will help. The other, I guess, big in the news was the famous Paxlovid that so many people cannot mm-hmm. tolerate because of the diarrhea or the, or the metal taste in their mouth. And of course, the association of rebound once you got off of them. So do we still, do, have we come up with an effective treatment for the flu, for RSV, or for coronavirus? The answer is absolutely not. Just like, is there one thing that we can do that can guarantee we don't get it? Absolutely not. So we have to use common sense. We have to wear everything, the knife, The bayonet, the gun, uh, the bulletproof vest, the hat, which includes what? The mask, the distance, the staying at home if you're not feeling well, the isolation if if you know that you're positive, the pre or the vaccinations before you get the disease. And most important of all, the number one lesson that we learned through this whole horrible ordeal, you want to be in the possible best state of health this winter or Mm -hmm. any winter. Uh, so that when you do come across these viruses, you're much better off to fend off. So let's focus on our diabetes, hypertension, and obesity, and that will be greatly impacting the deaths and the the series of the illness of all viral illnesses.
1: Dr. Melendez, thanks a lot for stopping by and, and giving us the report. That's Dr. Ivan Melendez, the Hidalgo County Health Authority, joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: Davis Rankin, since you went through the trouble to book the interview, (laughs) you took the effort for it. I will allow you to introduce our next guest.
2: Yes, I injured my finger, my index dialing finger. I was dialing so much. And I'm looking at the map for uh, Texas House District Number 37. Uh, the new representative is Jenny Lopez. She was uh, lately on the San Benito School Board. And it's, I guess it's fairly compact. It takes in all of Willese County and uh, over west of Harlingen, west of Harlingen almost to the county line, a little bit of Brownsville. And she's got SpaceX. I didn't think about that. Jenny Lopez, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. She is also, we should say, a... Uh, uh, an out Republican, so you're the f- first Republican member of the Valley Texas House delegation for a long, long time, not counting Ryan Guillen. How are you?
5: Hi, thank you for having me on your show. Um, first Republican woman to win down there in South Texas.
2: Uh-huh. Are they treating you nice? Yes. Or are they being nice to you? Or are they ignoring you, like, cutting you. like no, cutting you? every
5: everybody's awesome up here. Everybody. Wow. That's I amazing. Yeah, that we got she's the say support that. of the Speaker of the House and a lot of uh, you mentioned Ryan Guillen, who is just an awesome legislator, yes. and uh, he has been very supportive. Also, So I've been working with a lot of the uh, South Texas uh, representatives as well, and uh, we we're forming a South Texas coalition with uh, Republicans for for South Texas with Ryan Guillen, Todd Hunter, oh, uh, John Luhan from the San Antonio area, and a few other reps as well are exciting
1: yeah, ta- things going on. You are the is a, you are yeah. the House District 37 representative and our guest on your 956 Drive Home and uh, we didn't have a, uh, an opportunity to uh get to know each other earlier before the election uh, at least on this show yeah. I, I believe but uh tell us a little bit about yourself who you are where you're from and what it is you represent for HD 37. So
5: my my background um I actually had uh I working experience in different fields, including manufacturing, hospital. And uh, but more recently, it it was in uh, education. I worked as a teacher, school counselor, director, um, left the schools and set up my own business as a licensed professional counselor and um, saw the need in our community and the city of San Benito or the school district. uh, There were some situations of uh, fraud and other stuff going on there and uh so the community asked me to run for office there. That's when I ran for school board um thankfully to our uh- school board members there they they um nominated me to be their vice chair their vice president there and um was in charge of the finances and the administrative procedures in our school district. I saw that there was a big need in our schools compared to other schools in other big cities and uh felt that our our kids and our families down there deserved a, a voice and that's part of the reason why i decided to run for state representative office because there's a big need down there in the valley and uh, they needed a, a voice up here
1: first day on the job and I can imagine it's it's a lot to take in, very hectic. I can imagine there's a lot of wide-eyed moments of okay, how do I map this place out? <laughs> Where's the first place to, first, like, where, where do we go to eat? Where do we go to the bathroom? All these things. So you get to Austin and and tell us the story. Like, how how are you taking it as as you're absorbing things?
5: Yeah, I know it's a whole new world out here. It's like you're. Year... You got to get used to this humongous building over here and navigate your way around. I tell people, I'm just happy as long as I can get around. <laughs> as long as I'm not lost, I'll be happy. So it's <laughs> it's a beautiful building that we have. And a few years ago, they added the extension where our offices are as state reps. And so um, there's a, a, a it's a new culture over here where it's like you have to figure out where where the food is, where the restrooms are. So
1: our guest is Jenny yeah. Lopez. She is your Don't state rep lost. for HD thirty-seven. Our guest on your nine-five-six drive home, Davis Rankin. Back to you. Your question. Don't want to make this too heavy, but what um, what
2: goals do you have? Uh, what did you? What do you want to accomplish? And it's hard for a freshman state rep to. Uh, they say it's hard for, for them to get things done because they're learning. What do you want to do?
5: Right, yes. Um, and you know, and that's one that's what some of the seasoned people say to up here also, um that uh it's very difficult to pass bills and if you all uh, go online at the Texas Legislature uh mm-hmm. website, you you'll see there's thousands and thousands of bills and you'll see the percentage of bills that actually make it through. Um and that's why I think that it's very important that as a state rep we have to be very strategic on what we do research our information thoroughly, really find out what are the needs in our local community so that we can decide what, what are some of the bills that are going to be important for the valley. And so I'm I'm a very detailed, very thorough person. And so I uh, look at everything before I take action. And so um, we want to put the, the best bills out there uh, so that they don't uh, get knocked mm-hmm. down.
1: Speaking of some of those bills, what is on your wish list for this particular session?
5: So as far as uh, wh- when it comes to the Valley, there's a lot of uh, funding issues right now. We, we have uh, transportation issues. We have a RGB corridor that's going to, uh, that's going to be connecting to the upper part of, of Texas. And, uh, so the infrastructure down there is very important. I know that one of the things that, uh, to our cities in the valley is the drainage issues, the mm-hmm. street issues, uh, flooding issues, um, the water issues that we're having. And, uh, but then, then, uh, the, the droughts as well. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, there, there's a combination of very, very important things that need to get done in the valley. Uh, and uh, a lot of it has to do with funding.
2: Yo, I, 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 um, I, I guess they would tell you to take a deep breath. Do do you, as a news rep, do you tell the speaker what committees you would like to serve on? Or, or, of course, he's in this case, he is going to make the he's going to tell you what you're going to serve on. But do you have a chance to tell him what you would like?
5: Right, as a leader, he he decides what committees that we will be serving on. Um, but I uh will also recommend some committees as well, uh, depending on what our need is down there for the valley, and uh work together with him and, and see if that's the best fit or where he might need me when it when you it know, comes to committees.
2: I'm sorry. And we see in Washington that Republican and Democrat representatives or congressmen just they just like don't get along, right? They don't they they do I guess behind the scenes, but boy, it sure doesn't look like it. What's been your reception, I and mean, you're the first ever mexican American Republican woman from South Texas to be elected to the legislature that I'm aware of what Have the Democrats been nice to you or what
5: you know the positive about me being a Republican is that I'll be part of the majority as well. And so that's going to help us out in the Valley. Um, But one of the things that's emphasized up here is work as a team. Everybody here needs to work for communities. We have to work together because there are certain uh, bills that will be passed by just a a plus one vote. But then there's others that are two thirds vote. Right. And so Texas uh, has been very, very successful when you have bipartisan. We have to mm-hmm. do what's best for Texans. And, uh, and everybody up here just working together so we can get those votes is going to be very, very important. Um, I've gotten calls from people telling me that they don't like what's going on at the federal level. And I tell yeah. them Texas is very different. We make things work here in Texas. Yes. That's why we're yes. a successful state.
2: Give them the number of the two two uh congress down here Monica, and be sent to have them call those offices with, yeah tell you yeah you're um it doesn't have to be that I don't think it has to be that way
1: um our guest is Jenny Lopez the uh our state representative for h d thirty seven our guest on your nine five six drive home and uh i, I have a, I have a little bit of time here to uh give you the floor in yeah. uh pretty much telling any everybody what you plan to do during this legislative session?
5: Right, right, yeah. So, no, yeah, I mean, up here in in Austin, it's all about building relationships with the other legislators. I mean, down in the Valley, we have uh, several Democrats, right? So, and I have, we have Oscar Longoria that has half of some of the, the cities that I have, and I have the other half. And so cool. we all just need to work together for what's best for the Valley. Um, we have to be able to listen to each other, um, be able to uh observe what's going on, study things and then execute it we gotta put it put it all together so that we can have a success- successful session for the valley and um you know so so like I mentioned earlier a, a lot of the issues down there have to do with infrastructure we have the the causeway out there, and um mm-hmm. some of the leadership down there has already done a great job in working together and uh, doing the analysis that need to get done with the environmental studies and so forth that are that with these projects that had gotten started already we have the um, the overweight corridor we have space (laughs) six we have the the water watershed issues that we have you know but it's it's just a lot of important things down there for the valley
2: yeah you you won't have to worry about what you're going to do with your time because Because your dance card's already filled it's, up to mix. Yeah, metaphors. it's
1: it's been predetermined for you long before the session started. That's take for sure. your vitamins. Hey, hey uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's <laughs> a lot of collaboration and conversation and discussion between you and and the other Valley uh, reps, and that's that's going to be a, a good thing to have a good synergy to have there. So I'm I'm happy to hear that from, Thank from you. On. Uh, Thank that's you. That's Ginny Lopez, our state rep for HD Thirty Seven, our guest on News Talk Seven Hundred and Ten KURV. You're listening to
0: an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach.
1: We got to talk about Mr. Biden, President Biden, and his trip to Mexico. And just, I don't know, how do we all feel about it right now, the entire situation? (laughs) Tony Payan, Dr. Tony Payan, is with Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy. He joins us now on your 956 Drive Home. So what do we think of... Uh, the state of u s mexico relations right now dr pan mm-hmm.
6: well, there's some good news and some bad news right uh, as usual uh the um, I think it 's a very good thing that uh, President Biden decided to revive this uh, north american leader summit uh, it 's long due I mean at the end of the day, we cannot ignore the fact that the United States has only two neighbors, Canada and Mexico. And of Mm -hmm. course, Mexico is a complicated relationship. There's a lot of things that go on in Mexico, drugs, immigration, rule of law issues, investment, trade, infrastructure, and Americans living in Mexico and Mexicans living in the United States and on and on. The list goes on. It's a very complicated portfolio. And what happens in Mexico affects the day-to-day lives of so many millions of Americans, not just on the border counties, uh, well beyond that in California and Texas, and on and on, so they have to deal with that and of course, uh, there's two bilateral relationships the u s has to deal with Canada and its own disputes, but with Mexico, the agenda is quite heavy and so the good news is we're back again after the Trump administration canceled all the uh, North American leader summits. The Biden administration is taking this up again that's good. The channels are open the Summit itself, I think, was not as successful i th- I felt the leaders were really talking past each other. It was very obvious to me in one of the meetings when uh, President Lopez Obrador was talking about uh the neglect uh, of Latin America by the United States mm-hmm. uh and development and on and on as if he had of course. Uh, the authority to speak for Argentina and Brazil and Peru and Central America and the Caribbean. Uh, and Biden tried to put on the table the issues of fentanyl and immigration and things like that. So it was a, it was like watching a conversation uh, where two people are just simply talking past each other or, as I put it in a different forum, uh, it was like trying to uh, uh, dance uh, tango uh, with uh, partners listening to different tunes. It was uh, really an odd, odd summit.
1: Joining us on 710 KURV, uh, Dr. Tony Payan is with Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy. He follows a lot of U.S. and Mexico relations. Our guest on your 956 drive home. Davis Rankin, your question. Well, this just occurred to me,
2: Dr. Payan. It, it, you've heard people in this country say it's on the right, you know, they, that uh, President Biden is enfeebled. He's, he's, he's on the decline mentally. Is it, it, the reason things didn't mesh? In your view, because President Biden's on the decline, he's just not competent, or what?
6: I think President Biden... Put on the table the issues that needed to be put on the table, right immigration and the role that Mexico plays as a trans uh, migration country. he put on the table the issue of fentanyl, he put on the table the various trade disputes uh, that have emerged since the, uh, mm-hmm. since the USMCA entering into force. I think he had the right message. I think things were on the table, and I think uh, the, you know they were small things, but they make a big difference uh, president. Uh, Uh, Biden is obviously an uh, an older man, maybe his mental faculties, um, maybe there are not, but the issues that he put on the table were the right issues and the right tone. Uh, President López Obrador, however, even though he's much younger than President Biden, seemed to be out in the final press conference. Hmm. They uh, were supposed to answer questions from the media. And uh, 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 President Biden, I think, spoke for a total of eight minutes. Uh, Trudeau of Canada spoke for a total of six minutes. And on was one single question, Mr. López Obrador just drifted on and on and on <laughs> for almost 30 minutes, Whoa! talking about everything and nothing and making absolutely no sense. This is what he does every morning for two hours, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., in his famous Mañaneras, his press yeah. conferences Monday through Friday, and sometimes even on the weekends, and he did it to, to Trudeau and he did it to Biden. So I it was a it was a, a bizarre place. Maybe the age uh, played p- played a part. Maybe their mental faculties played a part. But at the end of the day, I think the issues that Biden took are the right issues uh, took to, to Mexico City were the right issues. Uh, but Mr. Lopez Obrador seemed to be on a different on a different planet.
1: Given given uh, what I this, this is your nine five six drive home on seven ten URV. I'm Zach Cantu, along with Davis Franken, yeah. who has a question for Dr. Tony Payan with Rice University's Baker Institute.
2: Well, given what I what we read, I read infrequently about President Lopez Obrador, uh, since I don't know about it up there, but there's not a lot of reporting in the American media here. Um, he, he He won't do what we want in terms of confronting the cartels, which begs the question, would that even make a difference um, what what could be achieved? I mean there is a sense that America and I can argue against it there's a sense that America wants Mexico to um like be an adjunct of the border patrol almost and stop people from coming through from Nicaragua, Cuba, Colombia, just stop them from getting to our border which I'd be happy with, but I don't know. What do you think about all that?
6: Well, I mean, evidently, I think uh, we ought to start thinking about these issues differently. They're not really domestic issues. They're not purely international issues. In political science, Mm -hmm. we often talk about intermestic issues. When it comes to immigration, we absolutely need Mexico's cooperation. We need Mexico to plug the southern border with Guatemala. We need Mexico to detain immigrants and And deport them if necessary, we need Mexico to collaborate on bringing some order to the u s mexico border of course um we need Mexico to implement uh, the u s m c a we need Mexico to stop uh fentanyl smuggling into the United States. We had hundred and seven thousand deaths due to overdoses last year um mm. we uh you know the Lopez Obrador administration has refused to do any of this. his famous uh Strategy, which he summarized as "abrazos, no balazos" (hugs, not bullets), uh, I, I think went too far because he wasn't just saying, "I'm not going to confront violence with violence. I'm not going to fight the cartels by shooting at them." No, he added the word "abrazos," which means hugs, and
1: mm-hmm. to me,
6: that's a welcoming word. And so, that 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 whole strategy by Mexico was twisted. But there is an acknowledgement that we need mexico on this as much as mexico needs investment and and tourism and trade with the united states and so we have to think uh, that all these issues are important for all of us and we have to work together on these things
2: yeah is it possible um bullets not is is first off is there another sentiment to the word abrazo to mexicans than what i understand meaning a hug number one and number two is it even possible we've we've spent many years watching the government confront these guys and th- they just get bigger and bigger i don't know that you can you know outshoot 'em.
6: them well there was a there was a very clear difference you're absolutely right you know, you, at at some point, violence is justified to stop violence. That I think everybody, everyone has to acknowledge. And I think the Calderon administration, and to some extent the Pena administration in Mexico, employed violence to fight the cartels. And the cartels were on the run. The cartels were being dismantled. Yes, it was it was a very high cost to Mexicans. It was a lot of violence. It was a lot of deaths. It was a lot of uh, uncertainty in the in the public safety and security landscape in mexico but mexico was making progress the important thing there is that the bad guys had to understand that they were that bad guys in the relationship between the cat and mouse uh the mouse has to understand itself as a mouse and the cat is a cat (laughs) in in today the problem is that mr lopez Obrador. He refuses to you know to go after organized crime and they 've taken over more territory they're they've taken over more activities they're more profitable they're into extortion and kidnapping and and uh and uh natural resource theft and they're into immigration and human trafficking and smuggling oh, yeah. and they're into every possible thing you can imagine and that is when I think the rule of law begins to break down, and that 's when criminals begin to say. I guess we are the shadow government. I guess the, the government is not going to come after us, and we can operate with complete and total impunity. And I think that is the big difference. Yes, you have to pay a price, and Mexicans were paying a price in the previous two administrations, but in this administration, there there is no, uh, uh, there's no consequences whatsoever for organized crime for doing what they're doing.
1: This is News Talk seven ten KURV or nine five six Drive Home. I'm Zach Cantu, along with Davis Rankin. We're speaking with Dr. Tony Payan from Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy on the topic of Biden's visit with Amlo, and uh, let's let's do some comparison. Then let's do uh, let's do the Biden administration and Amlo's reaction to it versus the Trump administration and Amlo's reaction <sighs> to it, and some of the big takeaways from that. And do you see any significant changes happening in the future?
6: Well, I mean, obviously, Biden uh, has a different political style than uh, uh, Trump. Trump, uh, as you may remember, was a a more transactional leader. And -hmm. you may remember that when the immigration crisis hit in 2019, uh, 2018, 2019, uh, the Trump administration uh, immediately uh, told Mexico, if you do not stop immigration right now, if you don't make an effort to do it, I am going to increase... Uh, tariffs on Mexican exports to the United States 5% per month every month up until 25%. And that would have been, of course, disastrous, by the way, not just for Mexico. It would have been disastrous for American companies, too, which which build things in Mexico and then bring them to the United States. These are very integrated economies. But Trump was willing to take that stick, that bat, and swing, right? And that was his style— And Mexico reacted to that, and López Obrador reacted to that, and he went to Washington and spoke with Trump and things like that. Biden is not willing to do that because Biden is a more institutional, more diplomatic, more political figure, and he's not willing to go that far and make those kinds of threats. He's relying on persuasion. He's relying on trying to convince the Mexican government to cooperate. He's trying to rely on making them understand that it's in both countries benefits to work together on these issues, uh, but I think Mr. Lopez Obrador is deaf, and so I'm not certain that Mr. Biden is going to get a whole lot out of this. Uh, despite the fact that spending two two and a half days in Mexico is a really important presidential effort, uh,
1: mm-hmm. this is
6: this, this is personal. The president went there and spent time there with Lopez Obrador, and then in the in the North American summit. But what will he get out of it? Uh, the What came out of the White House? What came out in Mexico in terms of commitments, concrete and clear commitments by the leaders to me wasn't enough. And, it, and it's too vague. Uh, and it doesn't come with uh, actionable uh, promises by both governments. So what's going to come of this? I have my doubts.
1: I remember, yeah, back in the day when, when, Trump was, was putting a handle on this. Mexico becomes the wall. That's what happens here, okay? Mexico becomes the wall. We pay $5 for avocados, and that's just fine. We we solved the border problem. As far as... Uh, Biden's not going to get anything done during his term. Are we just going to have to wait for a change in leadership on our end?
6: Well, I mean the president is obviously working on the margins of this immigration crisis. You may remember the very first time we saw the caravanization of immigration in 2012. Mm-hmm. So this goes back uh, 10 11 years. We've been struggling with this problem through the Obama administration, through the Trump administration and into the Biden administration. Uh that tells me that this is there's something structural about that and it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if it's 2012 or 2022, the problem is there. Uh, lots of people leaving Haiti, lots of people leaving Cuba. In 2022, Cuba alone expelled 2.5% of its population, almost all of them traveling to Mexico, through Mexico, and onto the United States. Venezuela is the same situation, Nicaragua is in the same situation. So there's something going on in the whole region. And I think the United States probably should pay attention to the to the whole chain. When the when the immigrants, because I traveled to El Paso, I'm originally from the border, and I traveled to El Paso, and the airport was full, and I went downtown, and looked at the immigrants, and I went down to the riverbed, and I saw the immigrants there, and I can tell you, and I, the one thing I thought when I was looking at this uh, at these uh, scenes right there is, when the immigrants are here and they're already Downtown El Paso, knocking at the door, or in Del Rio, remember the, the Haitian immigrants in Del Rio, mm-hmm. or the Hondurans immigrants down in Bronzeville, uh, It's too late. I mean, we ought to be dealing with them in the entire chain and get Mexico to do its part, get those countries to do their part, because otherwise, they're just going to keep showing up on our shores, and that you know that's it's almost too late by that time.
1: Dr. Payan, very well said, very well spoken, thank you, and, and very simply broken down for, for all of us that are following this very, very intently. Thanks a lot for your time here today. That's Dr. Tony Payan with Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Radioparami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing.